If there is a passage in Ecclesiastes that uh, those in your neighborhood, those in your family, those that you work with that, that don't know the Lord, that don't know the Bible, if there's a passage that they've heard in God's Word, even if they don't know it, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And many of you know why that's the case. In 1965, great year for me. No, I was, I wasn't around. But uh, 1965, uh, the group, the Birds, took this uh, Pete Seeger written song and made it a number one hit in the U.S. Uh, the song was called "Turn, Turn, Turn." And what many of you maybe don't realize, what certainly your unbelieving friends and neighbors and relatives don't realize is that the birds are essentially quoting Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. Now they've added a couple phrases which aren't in the scripture, but other than that, I listened to the song the other day. It's straight scripture. It's pretty amazing. And so you're familiar with this, you're familiar with this poem, you're familiar with this song. My kids thought I should sing it as instead of reading it. Uh, but I'm not going to do that this morning, as tempting as it is. And even now, the melody is just, to every season turn. Anyway, I won't do it. Um, we've heard it many times, but the problem is the birds sang it, but they never explained what it meant. Um, they had their own kind of emphasis on uh, a time for peace, and it became very much a, a peace song of the 60s. But uh, that, that's not what Solomon intended for it. And so we want to set ourselves to that task. And so listen as I read. We're going to read more than just um, turn, turn, turn. We're going to read all the way to chapter, excuse me, all the way to verse 15. But listen uh, as I read. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil, This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, 
already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As we have walked through the book of Ecclesiastes, we're only three chapters in, but there has already been a lot of cynicism and a lot of frustration about life. See, Solomon wrote this book. And in Solomon's search for meaning, his conclusion has been that life is a vapor. That life is full of frustrating limitations. All my wisdom and I hit a wall. All my searching and I hit a wall. That life is full of fleeting pleasures that at the end of the day, they distract for a while but they don't amount to a thing. As we come to chapter 3, finally we get away a bit from some of the cynicism, some of the frustration, and we get the Solomon who's not so bound to earth, confined to life under the sun. Remember, that's his phrase to describe a life that's simply on earth without reference to God. But instead, we get a Solomon that, that sees above life. That sees more to life. That lifts his gaze above the horizon. And in doing so, he wants to adjust our gaze as well. Of course, we've tried to adjust our gaze after every cynical, frustrating passage that Solomon has declared to us. We've tried to adjust our gaze, but Solomon does it for us. And he does it with two, I think, two truths for us to meditate on this morning. And we're going to use these truths to, to unpack these verses. You see, these verses fall pretty nicely into two sections. You have verses 1 through 8, which is very distinct. And then you have verses 9 through 15. And so we want to look at a truth from each of those sections. And the first truth is this. Kids, if you're taking notes, here it comes. The hands of time are not ours to control. The hands of time are not ours to control. Now we really can't arrive at this truth without sneaking into verses 9 through 15, but I want to focus mostly on verses 1 through 8 here at the beginning, because that is the point of to every season, turn, turn, turn. A few years back, I took all our old VHC, I don't know if you remember those old VHC tapes. They were about little, they were little tapes like this, and they fit in your little camcorder thing, and then they would flip in a big VHS cassette, and that's how you'd play them. And I, I had all these old tapes, and VCRs were just like, you couldn't even find them anymore. I went to a thrift store, I bought a VCR for $7, and took all of my VHS C tapes and I converted them to digital files so that we could save them. One of the effects of doing that is they're immediately accessible to us on our TV by way of my computer. And so one of the things that we have started to do as a family, just for fun, especially on birthdays, if you have a birthday in our house, we go to the home movies. And what an amazing age we live in. I mean, I, many of us in this room couldn't do that. We've never seen ourselves as little ones in moving pictures, right? We've seen still shots 
Some of you, <coughs> only black and white, but uh, most of us have not even experienced that. But our kids, that's commonplace. And so we sit and we look at these videos of, of tubby times and butterfly parties and baseball games and wildfires on the hillsides in the distance in California. That was no fun. And church camps, and I could go on and on. We laugh sometimes and we cry sometimes, Anna and I do, that those seasons are over, that those situations and experiences are now on to new ones. And you all have your own versions of this in your life. All our lives are alike in the sense that they are a rhythm. They're a rhythm of experiences, occasions, challenges, joys. Back and forth. Tick, tock. Tick, tock. In fact, when we read this poem that Solomon has written, you can almost hear the rhythm. Time for this. Time for that. A time for this. A time for that. Solomon is saying in these first eight verses is exactly this. That there is a rhythm to life. It's a poem. It's a poem that he has inserted into this writing about life, about normal life. And it doesn't speak to everything in our lives. There's no tubby time in chapter 3. But it does aim to cover the whole range of experiences that we go through. From birth to death. And everything in between. There are things in this list, if you just look at it with me as I'm talking about it, there are things in this list that are clearly out of our control. We don't determine our birth. We often can't control our own weeping. And yet there's a time for those things. Then there are things that are seemingly in our control. We choose when we want to embrace one another, don't we? And we choose when we want to shut our mouths and be silent. There are good things on this list. Planting and healing and loving and peace. There are seemingly bad things on this list. Mourning, loss, hatred, and war. And So what is it here for? It's a great song. But what is it here for? Well, I know that as I have thought about this list, as I, as I first see a list like this, I, I think, at least me personally, and maybe you in some way can relate to me, I think, sweet, let's unpack these things and look at each one and think and ask ourselves, when is it appropriate to do each of these things? For instance, tell me, Solomon, you who were the wisest to ever walk the earth, Tell me when I should embrace and when I should refrain from embracing. Because sometimes that's hard to figure out. And I think that's the natural tendency of all of us to some degree. We want to know how to do it. We want to know the times. In other words, we want to have control. Now this isn't all bad. There is wisdom in knowing the times at times. I mean, Esther, the life of Esther is a perfect example of this. She understood the times and she responded in wisdom. But there's also an unhealthy desire 
to know the times. There's an unhealthy desire to control. And so what I want us to see about these first eight verses, because that's where we're camped out right now, is that this poem is not prescribing human behavior. It is describing human behavior. It's actually making the point that our choices and our seasons and the times in our lives much more than we think, are actually not choices as much as they are responses. I can make a choice to wear a sweater if it's 32 degrees outside, but really that choice was ultimately a response. It's a response to something outside of my control. There's a time for everything. The hands of time The seasons of our lives are ultimately not ours to control. And Solomon goes on in these following verses and he really makes that clear, really unpacks it, and we'll go there in a moment. But even as, before we do that, even as I think about just my own experience, which again is subjective, it needs to be under scrutiny by God's word, but even as I think about my own experience, that teaches me that I'm not in control. I mean, I think about my own life, I think about the choices that I've made, the choices that have been made for me, and I I simply marvel and ask sometimes, in good ways and bad ways, how in the world did I get here? Often we say, I can't believe the hand that I have been dealt. And I know some of you have said that, for good and for bad. What a cruddy hand I have been dealt. And to some, this is the most frustrating thing. The fact that our lives, and that lives that are living simply under the sun, are out of our control, is absolutely maddening to some. William Ernest Henley, you English buffs, know that name. He was a 19th century English poet, and his most famous work is a poem entitled Invictus. Invictus, from the Latin word meaning unconquered. And he wrote it in an expression of frustration and defiance after part of his leg was amputated due to an infection from tuberculosis which he had. And I can't read you the whole poem, but let me read just a portion. He says, Out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And we ask how much of our world and and what portion of our own hearts, especially when we come face to face with that which is uncomfortable, how much of our own hearts think and live in this way? But Solomon and God's Word remind us that while life is full of seasons, it's this rhythm. It's a rhythm that we're ultimately not orchestrating. Yes, there is a time for that. 
There's a time for that. Sometimes you know when to do that. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just do it. Ultimately, it's not in your control. For the believer, in contrast, this is not a frustrating truth. It's freeing. It's a freeing truth. And that drives us to the second thing that I want us to focus and end on this morning. It's the reality that we don't live our lives simply under the sun. We live our lives above the sun. And as we do that, we become confident that the hands of time are in God's sure hands. The hands of time are in God's sure hands. After no mention of God in the poem, in this first eight verses, and the lens being primarily focused at the reality of our existence, suddenly, in verse 10, the focus completely shifts. Now, in the next six verses, God will be mentioned eight times. And He's mentioning God over and over again because He's saying, this is the meaning for the tick-tock rhythm of your lives. When God's mentioned, it's not in some passive way. Verse 10, God has given. Verse 11, He has made. He has put. He has done. Verse 13, He has given a gift. Verse 14, God has done it. God's relationship with time, God's relationship to the rhythms of our existence is one of absolute control and absolute providence, period. The good and the bad, the painful and the comfortable, the mundane in each day, the epic events of our lives, that which we know is out of control, that's what we think is in our control. He stands above it all and the hands of time are in His sure hands. That's what Solomon is saying. The hands that they're in are sure hands because they're God's. And God is good. And He makes everything beautiful in its time. And I know that this is a simple truth, but it is so foundational in the seasons of life particularly in the difficult seasons of our lives. If this perspective is not in place, there can only be despair. And I, I, I know that many of you have said this, as, as, we've said, as I've said to my own heart, how are people dealing with that without reference to God? I don't know how they're handling it. To live any other way, Solomon says, is indeed meaningless and madness. And so Solomon wants to change our perspective by giving us this poem, by explaining it in the following verses. And he wants to do it in three ways. We'll end with these three things. These are three responses. Responses to this reality that The hands of time are out of our control, but the hands of time are in God's sure hands. So what do we do? Solomon tells us. First thing, hopeful humility. Hopeful humility. Verse 11, He has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning 
to the end. Those of you who are here a couple weeks ago, this is related to that truth that we looked at of the frustrating limits of our existence and the fact that we're creatures. Solomon is reminding us that God made us to long for more and yet not be able to attain it on our own. I mean, we are naturally, whether we are a believer in Jesus here this morning or whether we're not, we're naturally intrigued and interested and concerned about the origin of all things and about the end of all things. Where is this headed? But more than that, there is this concept of eternity that lingers in our hearts that says there's got to be more. As the early church father, Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you. That's the way God wants it to be. That's the way He made it to be. He didn't have to put eternity in our hearts, but He put it there so that we would be humble. Our pride and our propensity to want to determine the outcome of all things in our lives is the opposite of what we were made to be. And the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we recognize that you don't exist for yourself, but you were created for another the sooner we gain our significance in the Lord and not in ourselves, and the more heartache we can avoid. David expresses this in Psalm 131. It's only three verses, the whole psalm. Let me read it. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Humility recognizes that we are like children, loved children, precious children. But it's also a humility that's hopeful. It's a hopeful humility. I mean, this whole discussion... Solomon reminds us that there is a purpose, a divine purpose for it all. To what seems meaningless without God. Those who follow God have an allotted portion in life. Part of God's mysterious and everlasting work. He is bringing healing to the nations. He is making all things Right. He is restoring what is broken. And you in your experiences, you in your seasons, you in the tick-tock rhythm of your lives are fulfilling that purpose. And so be hopeful. Be hopefully humble. In contrast, if you don't have this perspective... Solomon says, you're a prisoner. It's like you're locked inside that clock and all you hear is tick-tock, tick-tock. You're locked inside, going mad. Because there's no, there's no meaning to it, to it all. That's the first thing. Hopeful humility. Second thing is trembling trust. 
Trembling trust. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, not anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. We are called to live in faith. We are called to live in fear. Fear of God. He knows the beginning from the end and He has made it beautiful. And He has arranged the circumstances of our lives, the dependency of our lives to lead us to Him. To lead us to worship. There's security in that. It's a trembling trust. There is security in an unchanging God with eternal purposes. As I heard one preacher say that I listened to this week, there are no forsaken children and no abandoned projects. What do I got to do to get an amen? There are no forsaken children and no abandoned projects. Amen. Amen. No matter what you're going through. So we cry with the disciples what we sang. We believe, but help our unbelief. We cry with Moses, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. We want to trembly trust. We want to be hopefully humble. And finally, Solomon calls us to grateful joy. Verse 12, there's nothing better than to be joyful, to eat and drink and take pleasure in God's gift. You see, humility and fearful trust, those, that is not the way of the world. But it is the way of the child of God. We're about to sing a hymn that speaks to that. More secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. And so we can count it all joy. The simple pleasures that yes, are passing and aren't ultimately satisfying, but in God, there can be joy. The hands of time are in the sure hands of God. Time, time, time. It's one of the significant words in this passage. It's one of the significant words in God's plan and God's story. Galatians 4.4, God, in the fullness of time, sent His Son. Romans 5.6, the Son who at the right time died for the ungodly, that we now, for all time, might be called sons and daughters. That through the Son, our life under the sun is rich and full and sweet and secure. You see, even the gospel, even the gospel cannot be in our control. It's not in our control. He has done it. Believe it. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Friends, whatever season you're in, this perspective on your life is life. May God give you grace to see with His eyes, to trust His heart, and to indeed enjoy His gifts as His Word calls you to. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, I thank You for Your Word this morning, for this beautiful reminder 
of the fact that all of our times, all of our seasons, all of our experiences are in your sure hands and ultimately not in our control. Father, we thank you and give you praise that you work all things for the good of those who love you or those who are called according to your purpose. And I pray that you would call each one in this room to a recognition of that fact, either for the first time or for the thousandth time. That we might go from this place changed by your word. Oh, Father, this we pray in the name of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who lives for us, even now at your right hand. In his name we pray. Amen.